Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Next comedy date I got available is July 8th, the Ka Theater at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. That's with the great Joey Diaz, who's also on the podcast today. Uh, sponsors, Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club, I love their razors. They're fucking great. It comes delivered in little packages, so you never have to think about buying them. I actually have more than I need, which is better than better to have it and not to need it than to need it and not to have it, young Jamie. Um, awesome razors. And uh, at a fraction of what you'd pay at a department store or where would you get them? Uh, CVS, should I say brand names? Drugstore. And um, these are like the, the best quality razors you can get. And they deliver them to your door. You get a handle, an awesome handle, and they just give you new ones. They send them to you every month. And uh, millions of people have joined this beautiful club called Dollar Shave Club. They also have something called Shave Butter, Dr. Carver Shave Butter. And that shit will change your life. When you buy a tube of Dr. Carver shave butter, you get the executive razor for free, which is what I'm, uh, what I'm using. And they're very super excited. They're doing it for you. Um, DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to your door for a third of the price of what you're going to get if you pay for them anywhere else. It means when you join Dollar Shave Club, you can afford to shave with a fresh blade anytime you want, which uh, I'm telling you with this... Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. Oh, it feels, feels wonderful. Your skin feels so soft. Uh, it's the smoothest shave you're ever going to get. Now, now's a good time to join Dollar Shave Club. So new members who buy a tube of shave butter get a month of executive razor for free. Hmm. Take advantage of this special offer today. It's available by going to dollarshaveclub.com forward slash Rogan. I recommend it. I use it all the time. And uh, it's the only razors I shave with dollarshaveclub.com forward slash rogan and just do it for the fucking shave butter it the shit is life-changing you'll never go back to that regular weak-ass white foam weak-ass white foam we're also brought to you by stamps.com which is uh, another awesome service and another service that's cutting out a lot of unnecessary bullshit time out of your day if you send things through the mail you know what a hassle it is to go to the post office wait in line have all your packages wait out and then send them it's a, a tremendous time and resource drain well you can take care of all of that stuff easy with stamps.com it's also a fraction of what you would pay if you used a postage meter with stamps.com using a regular computer and a regular printer you can print out official u.s postage you weigh it out on the free digital scale that they provide with this offer. You weigh it out, print the postage, put it on the box, hand it to the mailman, or drop it off in the mailbox, and you're done. This is all you have to do. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone before you do anything else. There's a little microphone at the top of the homepage. Click on that, type in JRE. That's stamps.com, enter JRE. You get a four week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes postage and a digital scale. It's so easy to use that you'll never go back to going to the post office again. So, stamps.com, use the code word JRE when you click on the microphone. We're also brought to you each and every episode by onit.com. That's O N N I T. Onit is a total human optimization website, ladies and gentlemen. Total human optimization company. Ooh, we're, we're letting the ball, the fucking cat out of the bag. The Onnit Marvel Hero Elite Series of Fitness Equipment. I can't tell you what that is. Um, it's going to be some fucking dope kettlebells is what it's going to be. We have a bunch of artistic kettlebells. What, what, what Onnit's all about, if you've never heard me do the same fucking ad over and over and over again, 
what a total human and optimization company we aim to we aim to provide is all of the tools and all of the inspiration and all the supplements and strength and conditioning equipment and instructional instructional in form of video instructional in the form of uh, articles and also motivational in both ways motivational videos motivational articles all about getting your shit together maintaining good health maintaining momentum supplements that will optimize your hormonal level supplements that will supplements that will optimize your human neurotransmitters things like alpha brain and uh, shroom tech sport and new mood which is another fantastic supplement for actually giving your body the building blocks to produce serotonin all of this stuff can be explained far better than any uh, podcast ad that I'm going to do. But what I suggest you do is go to Onnit. Before you do anything else, click on the Onnit Academy link. And Onnit Academy is, there's an actual Onnit Academy, a physical place in Austin, Texas. But the Onnit Academy link, if you go there, is filled with all sorts of cool shit. Cool articles, um, interesting inspirational articles, interesting articles on exercise physiology. And then if you're in Austin... Can't recommend the actual Onnit Academy enough. It's an awesome gym. It's filled with top-shelf instruction, state-of-the-art equipment, and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. But go there, and it's a good, it's a good starting point. Try to understand what Onnit's all about. Use the code word ROGAN, and you will save 10% off any and all supplements. You motherfuckers. All right, that's it. Joey Diaz is here, folks, with Lee Syatt. Lee is his co-host on the uh, amazing and hilarious the Church of What's Happening Now. He's a beautiful human being. I love the fuck out of Joey. We've been friends for a long time, and he's a, a rare gem in this crazy world and a very important person. Give it up for Joey Diaz and Lee Syatt. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We're here with uh, Lee Syatt and Joe Diaz. My name's Joe Rogan, and I host a podcast called The Experience. Dude, uh, this poster you just brought me in. Joey Diaz just brought me in one of the dopest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. It is uh, a poster with Leonard Skinner and the Rolling Stones. And we were talking about this on the way in here. The Nebworth Festival from 1976. America's Confederate rockers, Leonard Skinner. And then underneath it, it says, along with the best rock and roll band in the world, Britain's own Rolling Stones. Which is kind of weird. Because you got one band that's the headliner. They're the biggest picture. And then it says the other band's the best band in the world. That, how high are we? No, it's just, they didn't know. They didn't know. They had no fucking idea the power that these guys were bringing over. They had been on the road opening up for Ted. Ted was a powerhouse in 76. Ted Nugent? Oh. Cat Scratch Fever. Oh, you know, yeah. Free Fall, yeah. Cat Scratch Fever, and then the live album. Stranglehold. Nobody, Stranglehold. To nobody, this day. nobody was messing with Ted. He was hunting. He was eating what he hunted. Nobody had heard these things. He was hunting with some shitty ass equipment, too. They had like old school archery bows back then, like recurves and. Like real shitty compound bows. Did he have like the whole compound then with like the animals and like the fakers? No, no, His not family yet. has had property in Michigan for, he's got a couple places. He's got one place in Florida and he's got one place in Michigan. And they're both like these gigantic private hunting grounds. <laughs> he just took, he didn't do any coke. He just took all his money and he bought a, you know, just a giant chunk of land. 
And then he's got one in Texas now. No booze, no cigarettes, no, no nothing. He doesn't do any of that? He doesn't no. party at all? No. No. Nothing. no. Nothing. I think he drinks a little wine. He's fucking crazy. But it's like when those guys try to debate him. Like, did you ever see uh, Ted Nugent versus uh, Pierce Morgan? No. On gun control? No. He lit him up like a Christmas tree. Because Pierce Morgan didn't have all... Pierce Morgan is like, you know, he, he's a proper sounding British guy. But like when it gets to the fucking red line, when it gets the red line of arguments, he falls apart. Like Ben Shapiro ate him up and Ted Nugent ate him up. A lot of the conservative guys that are like really slick, smooth talkers, they can eat him up when they get into the, the really like high revs. Of the conversation because he didn't understand that a lot of the gun deaths is also bad guys that are shot by guns like people that are shot by cops like all that stuff is sort of calculated it in like he didn't understand he didn't have all his, his facts in order so you, if you're arguing with a guy like Nugent who does these kind of arguments with people like gun control arguments he's got like his words down to a T he's done a couple of these he did one of them in a gun store they were in a gun store yeah sure go ahead play some of it Hilarious. I'm on a rock and roll stage. I just saw, sang a song about feisty. I mean, you got to be kidding me. On a rock. Did you ever see Richard Pryor live? How about Sam Kinison? How about Lenny Bruce? I'm one of them. Get over it. That's some funny. For, for a man who is a who is a patriot who purports to love his country, mm -hmm. that was quite shocking disrespect well, to me, your president. Let me put it in uh, official CNN. Piers Morgan yes. interview term. Shall I? Yes. My, my <laughs> yes. Anybody that wants to disarm me. Can drop dead. Anybody that wants to make me unarmed and helpless, people that want to literally create the proven places where more innocents are killed, called gun-free zones, we're going to beat you. We're going to vote you out of office yes. or suck on my machine gun. Yes, you take, can take it whichever much way. Much as you I'd want. love to suck on your machine gun, the whole point, the whole point of your defense is that a lot of people do drop dead precisely because. You are armed to the teeth, not and you'd like all. everybody else to be. Not true at 80 all. people. Write this down. See, you're so no, rich. You write this down. 80 people a day die in America from gunshots. And 75 of them to 78 of them, statistics by the Uniform Crime Report by the FBI and the, UN, and the UN study on violent crime, 78 of those 80 are let out of their cages by corrupt judges and prosecutors who know that recidivism is out of control, know that they'll commit the crimes again, and they let them walk through plea bargaining, early release, and programs. They still Kiss my ass. Yeah. Where you have the most armed sure. citizens in America, yeah. you have the lowest violent crime rate, where you have the, high, the worst gun control, you have the highest crime rate. Pierce, choose one. Do you want a lot of crime? We have it. Gun-free zones. Do you want less crime? We have that. More people with concealed weapons permit. Why do you guys resist that statistic? Well, it's a you guys. It's you guys. No. You, well, unless you're playing the devil's advocate. I, I can play any advocate I like. You're it's doing my, show. my job. Right. You're playing the idiot's advocate not, here. Not, not the idiot's More guns advocate. equals less crime. You're, period. Let me, unless I'm wrong, and I don't want to kiss, I'll be your, sure to let you kiss know your, your ass at this point, if you don't mind. Um, unless I'm wrong with your argument. Well, you're basically saying that you know 90% of the gun crime comes from people let out of prison. It's 96%. Right, right. Way, but go ahead. But they still have to get access to firearms. Mm -hmm. If you had your way, there would be 10 times as many firearms, right? Not true at you all. You want everyone in America to own a gun? Not at all. I've never said that. What's your that, position? And I got to tell you. And you what is to, your position? And I hope you don't edit this out. Whenever I've done interviews with guys that are inclined to be anti-gun, they always go, well, I knew you want everybody to have a machine gun. 
Nugent wants all the deer dead. What does Nugent want? Not even close. What do you want? What I want is the Second Amendment. We the people, free individuals to have the right to keep and bear arms for self-defense. Yeah. Find fault with that. Shut him down. It's too good at that shit. The, the, the argument is just too weird. It's just a weird argument. I see both sides of it. If nobody had guns, if there's no guns, if nobody getting shot. But I think people would be like machete and people more and shit. They do something. They do something. So they're, you're, they're saying 75 out of 80 gun deaths are criminals and like bad people? I don't know what the real numbers are, you know, but that's what he was saying in that argument. He was saying something along those lines. Yeah, the people that die in, when we talk about people that die in gun deaths, a lot of the people that die in gun deaths are cons, ex-cons. People out of jail, people who have already committed violent crimes in their life, which makes sense. Most of the violent shit's going to be happened by people with a history of violence. Well, it's crazy the the penalty you get for like a, a, a ex felon with a gun, like Gucci Mane, just get out after two years. This other guy has been in prison. Like you can go to prison for like seven years. Like there's a guy who said he's Prince's son. He's in prison for seven years, and he had he was a felon in possession of a handgun. Let me ask you this: When it's a guy like Gucci Mane, who's a big time public character. Right, he's a famous guy. Right, got ice cream tattooed on his face. He's fucking crazy. <laughs> right, when a guy like Gucci gets caught for something like that, do you think they make an example out of him? Do, they, do you think that they take that? Well, guy? Well, in New York, they have, you already have that law, the whatever law that if you get caught with a firearm, you do two years. Just period. Period. I don't know exactly what the parameters of the law, the Brady law, or something. You do two years. You don't even go to court. It's two years automatically if you get caught with a gun without a permit. I don't know exactly right. the parameters. Uh, you know. Does that keep people from doing crimes? What's that? That two years? Yeah. That carrying a gun for two years in New York? Yes and no. Yes and no, right? Yes and no. Some people carry a gun and all of a sudden they go, you know what? I'm not going to. What I do for a living, whatever. I don't know. I, you know, it's like you're saying Gucci man right now. Right. He's a high profile guy. You know, you're out at night. You see some crazy shit at night. There's times I'm driving after one. And I'm like, I should have carried a fucking gun tonight. You know, just in case. Just in case. You never know. I don't know if. Look, we were just talking about when you came in about Denver and Texas. Like the, the make my day law. I know people who have moved to Colorado for that law. You know, put put that YouTube. Did on you real ever quick. see? Did you ever see the video of Sonny Liston pulling a gun? Yes, you on put Muhammad it on the Ali. other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen that before? Never before. No, never me before the Tony other day. Tony told me about it. Yeah, Hinchcliffe told me about it. We were at the ice house, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" There's a video of this. P- play that. We'll play both of them. Now I want to hear that. Which, I wanna, today we're going to just play some. Shit. I want to hear the redneck Look at dude. This. So he was apparently like so screaming shit at Ali everywhere he went, and Sonny Liston was just tired of his bullshit. <laughs> the whole situation finally came to a head when Clay approached Liston at the Desert Inn in Las Vegas, where the champ was shooting craps and losing. Liston was in no mood to be harangued by the mouth from the south. Drawing a gun, Sonny fired, frightening his young tormentor into a hasty retreat. The gun was filled with blanks. Holy... Come on, son. That is one of the craziest things you're ever going to see in your life. He pulled a gun out on Ali. <laughs> in the middle of a casino. In the middle of a casino, shot it in the air, and then said, look, it's just blanks. No big deal. Wanted to go back to his crap game. Like, dude, what kind of environment did that dude grow up in? 
Dog, I used to know a lot of people that would carry fucking starter pistols and shit. In the 70s, just to oh get the fuck God. out of there, they would carry those type of pistols. Because you never know. Right. But what happens I, if the other guy has a real one? Then you're, then you're, you're fucking fucked. dead. Then oh you're fucked. God. Then you're fucked. But that Sonny Liston thing was so crazy. With, first of all, how casually he did that. He did so casually, and then how he shot his jacket to let everybody know it's just blanks. Like, come on, relax. Like, no big deal. Let's just go back to the game, right? Like, he just went back to the game. He didn't go, I got to get the fuck out of here right now before TMZ shows up. Dog, let me say something. Nobody runs quicker when they hear gunshots than black people. They fucking, they react, they react exactly. They know what time it is, and they hear fucking that shit. Look at him. He just shoots it in the air, and they all run. Wow. It just shows you, like, Ali was so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but then didn't Ali shoot a gun at Frazier in Africa? Did he? Somebody shot somebody in Africa. Not shot, but pulled up to the hotel with a gun in Africa. Whether oh, it was no. uh, Foreman or Frazier, somebody. When Ali was in his hotel room, they went over. It was Frazier. Was it? Frazier went over there with a gun and pointed it up at the building and shit. And really? Yes, yeah, some either or or something crazy like God, that. God, dudes were just putting guns on each Dog, other back people then. People weren't ready for Ali in the sixties when he started no. playing with your head like that. They just weren't ready for him. He was just tor- look at him. He's still tormenting them in the casino. Still tormenting them in the casino. I like the megaphone out of the bus window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that was in front of his house. He pulled up on his lawn. <laughs> Yeah, he told me that's what people. he was doing. Yeah, he and told the bus stayed like champ, best yeah. box in the world or something crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like I'm telling you, man. I think uh, McGregor takes it to a very high level, but you got to go back and look at the old Ali stuff. Maybe sometimes I forgot how, how good it was because nobody sh- had been like that before him. He showed up with the gorilla face and he insulted yeah. Joe Frazier. What does it say? The most colorful fighter. Cassius Clay, the world's most colorful fighter. And this was back before he'd even changed his name. Cassius Clay. Wow. It's crazy, man. It's crazy that that was in our parents' lifetime. And it seems like a different world. What do you mean your parents' lifetime? I'm an old man, dog. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, still remember fighting him. Frazier. I still remember, remember being a little kid going home. Just living in New York City. What year was that? What year was um, Sonny Liston? I want to say that was when I was a baby. Like I was 67. Uh, like it's 1967 or something. I don't know. When did he win the title? What year was it? When he beat Sonny Liston? Yeah. Now, Sonny Liston was fucking crazy. He's oh, the yeah. one that they didn't even know how old he really was. No, no one knew how he old he was. He could have been fucking 90. He could have <laughs> been 30. He's like a Cuban dude. First fight was in 64, second was yeah. 65. 64, so I wasn't even born yet. So it was three years before I was born. And um, that was a different world, man. It's a different world. You're watching that video, you're like, wow. Like so, America was just a different place. So when Cassius Clay was fighting, all of the country would just stop. Like everyone in the, everywhere would just watch the fight. Well, I remember when I was a kid, I was um, living in San Francisco, and my parents went. We went way out of our way to make sure that we watched TV because Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali—not Sonny Liston—Leon um, Spinks and Muhammad Ali were having the rematch, and the rematch was a big thing to everybody because Muhammad Ali was such a hero. He was so much more than just a fighter, especially then because he had gone over the three years of not fought 
because he didn't want to go to Vietnam. What year was that? Leon II and Muhammad Ali. Is in the early 70s. <sighs> I want to say... Um, Leon had no teeth. Yeah, Leon had no teeth. Michael was the one that fought yeah. Tyson, that Tyson knocked out in Atlantic City. In, in, yes. Right? Yes, okay, that's Michael confused. Spinks. Okay. Michael Spinks was the, the jinx. He was the former light heavyweight champion. He was a light heavyweight champ for many years. He was a really good light heavyweight, really good boxer, very smart, and beat Larry Holmes for the heavyweight title, but he really wasn't a heavyweight. You know, he beat Larry Holmes when Larry Holmes couldn't pull the trigger anymore. And, you know, Michael just was real slick, real smart. He wasn't dangerous enough to, like, threaten Holmes, like, to try to knock him out. But Larry just didn't have it in the tank like he did later in life. It was a controversial decision anyway. But anyway, he beat Larry, and so he became the champ. I guess it was, like, IBF champ or something like that. I don't even remember. And then Tyson just murked him. Murked him. Oh. It was awful. That's the difference between a real heavyweight and a light heavyweight. Like, there's just a difference in frame. Like, nobody had ever done that to Michael Spinks. Michael Spinks was so good. He had a nasty right hand, dude. He was fucking dudes up at light heavyweight. But he was also, had had a long career, fought a lot of really tough guys, and then, you know, gets the, gets the money fight. The night that he, that Tyson knocked him out in record time. Yeah, I was never so pissed off in my life because wow. I was robbing a drug deal and he left the house to go to watch the fight at somebody's house. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am casing the fucking joint. He leaves 10 minutes before the fight. I'm still crawling through the window fighting the dog off. Uh, and all of a sudden I hear cars. I get in my fucking car. I got the coke. But all of a sudden I see him coming back and he calls me like an hour later. Somebody robbed my house. What are you talking about? Oh, God. I, went, I came back early because he knocked him out in 13 seconds. 13 seconds. What the fuck? I'll never, in Boulder, Colorado, on MacArthur Lane, I was casing the motherfucker out. Those are the days where, do you remember the the closed circuit days? Yeah. We used to watch fights at movie theaters. Really? Yeah, it was a big thing. Yeah, you get, your friends would get together and we would go, we'd all go to a movie theater and we'd watch a fight on like closed circuit or they'd even have it at the Boston Garden. I used to go to the track. Oh, yeah? In the Meadowlands, and that's where I saw your boy, the Detroit hitman. Tommy Hearns? Fight somebody, like a great fight. Like, I don't know if it was Duran or Leonard. Duran, he, he murked he Duran. Murked, but he fought somebody, and we watched it on the track on a Monday night. You ever see that knockout that Hearns, have you seen it recently? Yes, the Hearns no, Duran? No. Pull that up. Tommy Hearns, man, was such a freak of nature because he was so tall and long, man, and he had muscle. Like, he wasn't just tall and long. He was tall and long, but he was fucking strong. And if he caught you at the end of that right hand, I mean, it was one of the most devastating punches in all of boxing. Which is why it was so crazy that Hagler was able to just walk right through him. Hagler just walked right through him, man. Hagler could just take it like nobody else. I mean, Hagler had, like, nasty power. But one of the things that was most impressive about Hagler was you could just hit him with anything. Him and Durant had a great fight. Hurt. Hagler oh, and yeah. Durant had a great fight in 84. That was a great, great, great fucking fight. Well, it seemed like Hagler really respected Duran in that fight and really didn't take it to him. He knew how dangerous Duran was. Duran was a still a real sneaky boxer. This is after he had beaten Davey Moore. But see, Hearn just had this distance, man. And he could fuck Duran up at distance. He would just, like, come in with that whip of a punch. God damn, dude. They don't even look like they're in the same weight class. Ooh, there's a right hand that drops him. Oh, shit. They really weren't. 
Duran started off his career as a 135-pounder, then moved up to 147. And I don't know what the fight... This fight was probably 154, if I had to guess. Find out what uh, this fight was at, what weight class. Because he fought as high as middleweight. When he fought Hagler, it was at middleweight. He was fighting guys at some pretty heavy weights. 154, yeah. So that's light, light middle or super welterweight, depending on what organization calls it. But yeah, Dur- Duran was like 20 pl- pounds over his ideal fighting weight. His ideal fighting weight was lightweight. He wasn't a big framed guy like these guys, but he still was skillful enough to hang in with them for the most part. But Hearns murked. Yeah, there it is right there. That's the Merc shot. That's one they don't even count for. When you get hit like that, they don't even bother counting. So let me ask you something. How do you feel about guns right now at this point in your life with a family and, and, and what's going on in your life? How do you feel about guns? This is the real problem with guns. The same problem with everything else. People are fucking stupid. There are a bunch of people that are fucking stupid. Now, if you had to ask me, do I think that everybody in this room... Do I think that they are responsible enough to handle a firearm and own a firearm? Yes, absolutely. Everybody in this room is. I believe so. But is it everybody in the world? Fuck no. But who can decide? Well, that's the point of the whole law. The whole point of the law is you can't let some tyrannical dictator decide who can and can't be armed. Because at the end of the day, what we really have to worry about as much as crime is you have to worry about the government turning into crime. Because the governments of, of nations all over the world have fucked the people over and done shit that people don't want, imprisoned them, enslaved them. Are we supposed to ignore that? Are we supposed to pretend we're past that? We're past that completely. People will never be like that again. An armed militia is in the possibility that it all goes wrong. That's what it's for. It's not, it's not for when everything's going right. It's for when it all goes wrong. To deny the possibility that it could all go wrong, to me, you're lying. You're lying. You're pretending we're better than we are. Because you look all over the world, there's war everywhere. There's war everywhere in the world. There's murder everywhere in the world. There's robbery and thievery everywhere in the world. There's not equal. It's not equal with the amount of chances people have. It's not equal the amount of uh, the time you do in jail if you get caught for things. There's all sorts of inequalities and all sorts of real fucking problems in the world. And to deny, to say that we've reached some utopian place where you don't have to worry about the government turning into a tyranny. Bullshit. No, I don't, think it's, I don't think the government right now is a tyranny. I don't think they're controlling us. I don't think they're doing anything unbelievably oppressive. I think they respond to, in a certain extent, to the amount of pressure that people put on them. And when people say things like, we don't want to go into Syria. Remember that Syria thing? Obama was on TV. We're like, fuck this. No one wants to go to Syria. They're like, he's back on the Syria. He's back on the Syria. At the end of the day, people that are used to going to war like to go to war they make a lot of fucking money doing it and you have to be aware of that kind of shit you got to be aware of people f- trying to force you into things you got to think about kent state man that was in our lifetime you know the during the vietnam war they fucking shot kids that were protesting they shot them on the college campus for doing nothing but protesting that wasn't that long ago man it's not that long ago i'm not advocating that there should be some fucking uprising and people should pull guns but i'm i am saying 
you can't just have one group of people running other groups of people with no recourse with with no you, you, the, the 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 people don't have any ability to stop them so the people in power we just have to trust that they're going to be good that's crazy why would you do that they're just people and people if you give them too much power they almost always fuck it they almost always abuse the shit out of it it's very rare that someone gets into a position of power and all of a sudden does wonderful selfless things for the world Bullshit. They do weird things. They have weird fucking people that get paid off. They have subsidies for like oil and corn and greasy dealings with private prisons. Like there's a lot of fucking weird shit going on in power. So to say that we're just all, oh, everything's going to be fine. We don't need guns. In, in England, we don't have guns and we're fine. You still have a queen. You're still in some weird fucking quasi imperial state. The scariest thing, though, is, like, if you go on Facebook and you scroll through, there's video after video of people fighting. Like, that's the biggest thing now is World Star and just people fighting. Yeah, well, that's it, always It scares been... me for all these people to have guns. Like, it, That's true, too. It's, to, to be honest, like, with all the road rage happening, like, that guy a few months ago got pulled out of his car on, like, Hollywood Boulevard I don't want a fucking gun to, uh, to be on the offensive. I right. don't want a gun to be on the offensive. Right. I want a gun in case last night him and I were talking shit till 1230 at night on my side street. Three cops, three, uh, a guy kept circling. God, you know, after half hour, a cop came by because somebody actually called the parlor cops and said there's two guys standing out there. It's oh. just bullshit. But Look the point you, is. criminal looking motherfucker. No, nah, we're out there just telling stories after the comedy story. Yeah, I know what you it know? is. Yeah. And uh, I, for a minute there, when that white car came around the second time, I thought, yeah, I thought I needed a gun. I don't know what people are thinking no more. You don't know what people are thinking. You could zig when you could have zagged. And you could run into someone who's out of their fucking mind. Out of their fucking minds, and you never know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an advocate of being armed all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can't let the government tell you whether or not you can have a weapon. It's just not, it doesn't make sense. Well, for years I had the felony. I still have the felonies. And the government tells me I can't have a pistol. Now, my crime was with a pistol. All right, that they go off, no, but there was a potential for violence. There's always a, always a potential for violence. In my heart and in my mind, I did a probationary period already. That was uh, 1987. I did a probationary period again, more than a probationary period. I feel in my heart right now, I'm capable of carrying a gun as much as I hate it. I fucking hate those things because I know what they bring. You know what I'm saying? I know what they bring to some people. They're not going to bring it to me because I'm not young and stupid anymore. Do you understand me? I really wanted to protect my daughter. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to. There's weird people doing Every time you watch the news, every time I watch the news and I see something stupid, what happened in Houston yesterday? You see that yesterday? No. Some what fucking happened? soldier snapped. No. Four what fucking happened? tours in Afghanistan, and he got some fucking machine gun. He shot somebody at the gas station. There were so many fucking bullets that the gas station blew up in a suburb in Houston. Oh. The cops were in this. You got to see the cop cars. It was like heat. Remember those cars with the windshields and shit? So did nah. he get in a, a road rage with somebody? No, 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 no. He just went into a gas station, shot a customer, and from there, the party started. Walked down the street shooting, uh, one dead, six injured, you know, shot up 30 fucking cars in the middle of the street. I'm walking to a movie with my daughter. I'm minding my business. 
Leave. Instead of fucking driving, let's walk to the taco place today. Right. That could happen. That could happen. I know this going in. When I leave my house every morning, I know this is possible. And that's the messed up part because he has a gun. He has the right to have a gun. But if someone else in Houston right had here, a gun, gun maybe they could have shot Two him. dead, six injured, randomly just at whoever. You need that in your life? Now, See, I'm not a sharpshooter, but I could shoot him in the fucking leg. I believe in shooting him in the leg if I have a great cover. Yeah. I'm not looking to shoot the fucking guy like the cops are going to. I mean, you should have heard the tapes. It's crazy. Ta -ta 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 -ta. And that's Texas, too, where everybody's armed. But, you know, many people are not <coughs> trained. That's also a big part of uh You have no, listen, brother, let me tell you something. You have no idea what happens to your body when you hear a gunshot 10 feet from you. Oh, yeah. You have no idea. No, no, I don't give a fuck about that. Whoa, I, ch I fought Chuck Liddell. I know. <laughs> I know. I know he knocked the fuck out of you, but you've never heard a gunshot go off. Right. Much less a machine gun. you got to see people's right. faces. Right. You Much have less to see, machine you have gun, to see right? people's faces. Da, 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 da. And you hear that clip for real. It ain't a movie. Mm. This ain't no Duff, Duff Lundgren movie. Or what's the other guy that, that played the mechanic? It ain't one of these movies. This is Jason real, man. Jason Statham? You know, and it, it <laughs> just shoots you. It just kills you. Yeah. That's why people freeze. Yeah. You freeze, you go into shock. People that are not used to that, they play bingo and they take their family for ice cream. They don't need that shit. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm petrified. I live in fear as it is. You know, I was listening to this TED podcast. It was really interesting, man. They were talking about uh, camaraderie and they were talking about the people that go to war together. And one of the things that they all say is that. Uh, their camaraderie and their love for each other is unlike any love or friendship that anybody else could ever possibly experience because it's so intense because it's like life or death every single every day. day and that when the wars are over and they're back home and they're happy they're safe and they're with their family and everything but they they look back and they go the best time of my life was being at war like that that's crazy what does that say about people? About and I'm not. This is not a judgment. I'm not like a, not not a moral judgment. What does that say about people? What I'm saying is, what does that say about the way the brain works? Like, how strange is it that people can get so excited about being in danger and the camaraderie that comes from being in danger? It like reawakens us almost, puts us in this like primal state that we used to exist in, and now instead of that. Worst case scenario, some guy fucking snaps and he's on the high when he starts shooting at people. That's the that's kind of like worst case scenario that we all worry about. But most people fucking keep it together, which is one of the most amazing things about being a person. But we're, the, the the experience is flat. There's not enough excitement. There's not enough happening. There's not enough stimulation. There's not enough creativity. So you live a different life. You live a different life. You guys are podcasting and doing stand-up shows. So there's all this out, this outpouring of creativity. You have all this uh, room for expression. But some people they just feel like compressed. They feel like they've just they've got a board tied to their chest and to their back, and every day someone pulls the fucking strap on that board, and that's every day, and it's just boring as fuck. And when they deploy. And they're over there, and, you know, yeah, they're going to miss their family. Yeah, they're going to be risking their lives. Yeah, all, the, all those things are 100% true. But for them, that experience was the best time of their life. That's amazing. We're strange. No, no, no. Because you and I work in an office together. You, me, Jamie, and Lee work in an office together. We go in every Monday. We talk about the UFC. And then an hour later, it's back to fucking stocks and bonds or whatever the fuck we're doing. And then we go away on Friday, and that's it. 
the same works for the people I did crimes with early on. I still talk to those people because I went through a weird experience with them. Something that you don't do with most people. Something that, and they accepted me who I'm, for, who I'm for. And I I talk to this kid, Timmy Holloway, every fucking day. At five in the morning, we talk. He was the getaway driver when I robbed the jewelry store. I have a loyalty to him. We, mm -hmm. But we were at a light and the cops came by and the trunk opened up with the gold chains. We both shit our pants. <laughs> it's, you know, it's something about that. I always had the respect for the camaraderie. What gets you through those first six years of comedy when your life is shit? Yeah. What the fuck gets you through? Yeah. What gets you through? We were just talking about it right on. When I call you and I go, we're driving to Quincy tonight, motherfucker. <laughs> that waitress is there. Oh, shit. Well, how much holding? I got like 11 bucks, Joey. I got like fucking nine, dog. We get a steak. We'll buy a bag of weed. How much fun. You know, that's the best part of comedy. It's hard to believe, right? That's the best part of comedy. I don't give a fuck when anybody tells you standing ovations, selling tickets. The part of comedy you're going to remember is when you were with Brody Stevens in a car with Josh Wolf, and I got Brody in the back tied up in the fucking back in the Volvo, and I'm doing 100 <laughs> with his car, and he's yelling, stop it. Normal people do not live like this. Every time I see Brody, I give him a hug now because it's, when I'm in that fucking box, on my mission to wherever the fuck Buddha land, that's what I'm going to be thinking about. How good of a time did I have when I had $3 in my pocket? You ever read the Brother Sam book? Brother Sam? You know, about Sam and Yes, Carl I did. Lebeau. Sam Whatever. Kinison, his brother Bill wrote it, right? The best part of that fucking story, the best part of that whole story, that every time I see Carl, I give him a hug because I can relate, is when they talked about how broke they were, and they would walk to the comedy store to eat the fruit from the bar that the, the bartender would chop up. Wow. Who admits that? Who yeah. admits that? But you and I know that secret. And it's the same thing, man. Well, there's a thing that that's happening, too, when you're going on those gigs where you don't know if this is going to be it's going to be successful. Not just the gig, but this as a career. Like, you're not like, I'm a comic. Fuck it, I'm a comic. You're like, am I pulling this off? Like, is this... I got a gig now, and I'm trying. I'm, I'm out here, you know, this, like me and Fitzsimmons would do these gigs, and we would both be like, barely should be talking to people on stage. Barely. I mean, we were rookies, man. We were fucking rookies. And in Boston, if you could string together 20 minutes, they had so many rooms. Everybody was working. It was crazy. Were you able to have fun during that time? Or was oh, it yeah. Just fun. Great really? Fun. Unbelievable. So Unbelievable. Fun. But I was, like, terrified it wasn't going to work right. out. Terrified that I was wasting my time. I mean, because it was a big chance. I quit everything. You I were delivering I, papers or something like that. Yeah, I kept yeah. delivering papers, but I quit teaching at Boston University and I quit uh, teaching classes. I said I don't want to do it. I said I don't want to half-ass it, and I'm not thinking about it the way I used to think about it. When I was teaching before, it was like it was uh, it was life. I was teaching life. You know, I was teaching you know people. Kicking and punching, it was like as important as life. It was everything. I was thinking constantly about techniques and, and movements and strategies and, and constantly. And so when I was teaching people, I wanted people to be as into it as I was. And if they weren't, I really wasn't into it. If they were, I, I, like, I had a bunch of students that I took up to like, you know, a pretty good level. Like, uh, you know, below black belt, but pretty good level where they're getting really good and starting to win tournaments. It was really exciting. I was doing all this, like, from the time I was, like, 19 to 21. And um, so teaching and competing at the same time. And when I um, first 
started doing comedy, I was really I realized right away I was like I gotta quit. I gotta quit everything. I just gotta do this. So it was, it was such a fucking leap, man. That every gig, I was terrified. I was like, is this a stupid thing I'm doing? Like, what am I, retarded? Why the fuck do I think I'm funny? Why do I think I can get people to pay me to talk? And I'd see the guys that were doing it in town, the guys that were making it. And it was just like, they feel, they felt just out of reach. Just, just out of reach. So you never, you know, and then you'd go and you'd do some gig in Maine and get heckled and eat dick. <laughs> you just fucking bomb on stage. And you go, oh, my God, what else could I do? If this doesn't work out, what else could I do? Because there's nothing else you wanted to do. No. I would go home at night after a bombing and just cry. And I'd circle. They used to have Just for Laughs newspaper. Yeah. And I would I go to the that. back section and it had all the clubs, state by state, Alabama. Yeah. And I would circle the clubs. That I'm going to show them. <laughs> Someday, I'm going to show them. I'm going to do that Birmingham, and I'm going to do the Seattle Underground. And and one day you're there, and you're like, wow. But it's so weird that there's so many things in life you could pay for. You can't pay for love, and you can't pay for camaraderie, man. There's no. something about a camaraderie, a real camaraderie. You know, like sometimes when you go to jiu-jitsu, and this guy fucking is on you, and he taps you. At the end, you get up and you hug him. Yeah. And you go, man, that was great. You sweat in my face. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I could smell the cheeseburger from last night. And, and that's camaraderie. You can't pay for that. But it's weird that, listen, if you're running with people every day and they got your back, I can't imagine that camaraderie. That's real. Yeah, I'm not so talking about what well, we're in a The camaraderie that, that we're talking about, that this makes you understand like what that story about these guys that want to go back. You know, like that movie Hurt Locker. You know, but that was different because that guy was kind of addicted to dis disarming bombs, right? The dude, the other one, the Clint Eastwood one, American Sniper. Oh, he right. kept going Chris back, Carter. and she couldn't figure it out. Why do you keep going? What the fuck yeah. is you won't shut the fuck up? Because <laughs> you won't shut the fuck up. And this kid, I don't know what's going on. Let me go over there at least kill people because then you feel. Can you imagine Joe Rogan? Like all your life, you got thrown out of school. You know, you fucking your par mechanic. You're lost, but all of a sudden you realize you're good at taking lives. You ever think of that? You ever put yourself in that position when you're 18 years old, 19 years old, you're in Vietnam, and you realize that you, you're taking your first tour back to the United States now. You finished your year, but you survived. The 11 that went over, there's six of them left, and you survived. And in reality, in God's eyes, you got 18 kills. Nobody knows that. As like a 19-year-old. Now you go back to civilization. And you're going to get paid 10 bucks an hour to change tires. Why do you think for years I kept selling Coke? Because nothing really can compare to that. Excitement. Excitement. What this is the excitement of doing something you're not supposed you know, to do. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sit with my wife and drink mint juleps with her fucking family. I could be killing motherfuckers right now. Mm. You know? Yeah. You know, you get that. Not rock. only that, you get a lot of love for doing that. It's like you get love and respect from the people that you work with for doing your job correctly, but like then, for manning up. But they're not there when you're stabbing a motherfucker and your dick is getting hard and your testosterone oh. and your heart's beating. They're not there, brother. One, it's like a shark when they get that taste of blood. Those eighteen, why don't they ship you over there? When the way don't they want you when you're eighteen? Go when you're 31 and try to go in. You already got beliefs and shit. That's what I think. Your I central think. nervous system has already been set. They can't get you to kill and forget. But an 18-year-old, hoorah, siempre free. What's that the Marines say? Siempre fire. Siempre fire. In, my, in Cuba, siempre free. 
Siempre freak. You know, you can't. I, I thought about that. Can you imagine coming back here at 25 and now you got to work at a bakery? Couldn't imagine. Good luck. Twelve fifty an hour and you get two weeks a year off. Meanwhile, all you're dreaming about is fucking putting makeup on. In a tree with ropes, with a machine gun and a gun and knives. Oh, how much work do you think they put into readjusting guys? Those first twelve. Reacclimating them back into society after you want after to tell you war. Something? You don't want me to tell you the problems we have. We don't. We can't do it effectively. It's like a guy getting out of prison after twenty years. We we haven't figured out a way to do it effectively yet. That there's no mishaps. There's always going to be a small percentage. Four. This guy in Houston yesterday did four tours. How old was he, Jamie? Four tours. What the fuck are you going to do in this United States that's going to give you that tour? Unless you go on stage. Even that. And nothing. even that. It's nothing in comparison. You said earlier like how crazy our brains are. It's crazy how different. Like When I was 18, it was 2007. Like I was graduating high school, so like... Iraq and Afghanistan were blown over. It was right at that time, and I had friends who went over. But my like, what you are saying is exciting. Would I would run away from that? There's no part of me. Twenty-five years old, four tours. Oh my god. Yeah, well, you're a smart guy, Lee. <laughs> no, but there's smart people there. There's like, yeah. Oh my, like but the, it's just people that are willing to whew. do the stuff that's more dangerous because it feels better. Because it feels like even though there's risk involved. At least you feel charged up and alive. There's a, it's a life of excitement versus a life of, you know, I'm, why do you think people climb rocks? They climb rocks because it's actually enjoyable climbing a rock? No, they climb a rock because it's fucking scary and you don't know if you can make it. You're pretty sure you're going to make it, but there's a real risk that you get a fucking hand spasm and you just fall for a long time. Until you splatter on the bottom. When you watch someone crazy like Alex Honnold. Right, the guy with no ropes. He does it with no ropes. We had him in the podcast. He's a super nice guy. Real, real interesting guy. Lives out of a van. Just travels around and climbs rocks. He's an adrenaline junkie. Okay, the climbing of the rock, it's like, I mean, I guess it's kind of cool to be up high. And it's sort of like a version of hiking for him because he can kind of make it. But what's really going on is you, you recognize... You're on the edge always and so even if you're not like your adrenaline's not flying you're not freaking out your heart's not pounding Your heightened focus and sense is keenly aware that you're holding back a waterfall of adrenaline You're keeping it together and so you're a lot of times guys that are doing like crazy shit like tightrope walking and stuff like that They're they're sort of addicted to trying to control what is this guy doing, Jamie? Is it, oh, is this parkour or he's something? Do something really scary here in about two seconds. He's oh land no! In a handstand. No, he's not. Oh. Ah. Oh my God. Oh my God! This guy did. He jumped and then did a handstand. He's still doing On it. the edge. <gasps> oh. <laughs> Oh my! Have you seen God. the videos of like the people on the hoverboards hoverboarding on like yeah. the tops of buildings? That might have freaked me out more than the hoverboard because that guy was upside down. And I watched my daughter do those things. They don't always land perfect. <laughs> fuck, man! Oh Jesus Christ! What the fuck is going on in Russia? What are they feeding these people? Them radioactive pigs from Chernobyl? Those ain't, those ain't Russians. <laughs> those Russians? Are they Russians? Oh, you heard Russian? I heard Russian. Didn't you hear Russian? Something. 
sounded Russian sounds. My hands are sweaty. I'm assuming it was Russian. Am I being racist? It's not a race, though. Rush, the only reason why Russian isn't a race is because they look like us. <laughs> right? I mean, they're totally not regular white people. No. No. What does it say? Does it say it's Russian? Yeah, it is Russia. See? Jesus Christ. Just assumed. I'm pretty sure I heard some Russian sounds, though. Yeah, we're, we're crazy. People are crazy with the need, the, the juiced up need for those things. It's like, how do you feel? Don't you, don't you like feel sad when someone's a comic and then they quit? And then you see them kind of hanging around the comedy club. Oh. And they come back and hang around. Yeah, I haven't done stand-up in 10 years. You believe that? I'm You're really like, oh. happy now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't have to deal with the bullshit no more. <laughs> My family's getting raised correctly. and uh, Okay. <laughs> That's great. That's fucking great. I just... Listen, man. You're going to do things in life that you don't like. And you, and you uh, uh, recognize it. And you move on. In L.A., how many people have we met? How many people are going to be stars? How many people went to Montreal and had sitcoms? A lot. And all of a sudden, you don't see him no more. You just yeah. don't see him. And then one day, you go to a town, and you get a Facebook. Hey, I had to come back because my uncle died, and I'm doing a podcast. And can I do a guest spot? And you're like, nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know who you are. I mean, I just don't know what's going on anymore. The whole guest spot thing's a weird thing. You know? It's weird to ask people to come on a professional show if you're not a professional. Like, I get it. Like, that's how people get better. They do guest spots. But that should be something that somebody asks you for. It's, you know, like, would you like to do a guest spot? Like, that, you know, like, check you out on stage in front of 3,000 people. But to, like, ask to do that, like, because we all know, like, some comics that are weird. They'll, like, show up at your shows and ask to do guest spots. Oh, my God. I didn't know you were here tonight. Yeah. Like, I was just driving know? by. Oh, really? But you're backstage? I'm in fucking Ontario off the yeah. thing, and you didn't know I was here tonight. You don't see my name out there? I made a rule about two years ago. I love comedians. I know what it is to be a comic. So I'll tell you what I do. I know what it was like for me to feature and to need that $400 for rent. And all of a sudden, you get a call the week before that the headline is bringing a feature. I get it. So I made a deal. I won't bring a lot of features, but I'm not doing guest spots. And the word gets out. It's so crazy. The word really gets out when you don't do guest spots. People won't show up to your shows no more. That's interesting. Which I don't want them at Whereas before they were showing up and they're hey, trying to Hey, how you doing? On. They want to hang out in the green room. And here's my philosophy on it. If you're so funny, you wouldn't be here. Get, go get on stage. Yeah, well, you'd go have get on stage. Booked. And, you know, people come to the green rooms and they want to hang out. And that's great. I love seeing my old friends and stuff, but I'm working right now. And you're not working. Well, not only that, you, you don't have to be on that show. Here's the thing. Like, I, when I was a kid and I was uh, starting out, I loved going to shows. I still love going to shows. I don't have to be on stage to enjoy a show. So if I go to a show, then I'm like trying to get a guest spot on someone's show and I don't even know that person or barely know that person. That's fucking weird. I never did that. I don't know anybody who did that. None of us did that. You, you either got asked or you just kept working. You kept doing shows that were at your level until you got better. That's just what everybody does. Like this guest spot thing, like that is not how it works. You can't just show up and get on in front of a couple thousand people. I didn't have two gigs the other night. I lied to you because I knew you were going to ask me to come up to the ice house. But I know, <laughs> but I, but I know you're working on your hour. Yeah, I don't, I don't wanna, care. I don't want to disrupt nobody. Oh, that's 
I Very know kind that, of you, you know, I, I, sometimes I go to the ice house and there's 18 guys up before you. And I go, this isn't right. This poor guy did us all a justice. And now motherfuckers are doing 20 in front of me. You know, and I go up there and do eight and he gets mad at me because I know what it's like to feel. When I get to the fucking club at eight, I'm ready to go. Steam's coming out of my nose. I got to eat two stars to calm me down. I already ate. I worked out. I'm fired up. I got to wait through three fucking comics now. The last 15 minutes, I'm pacing back there like a fucking animal. You know, I just want to get up there and do my fucking thing. And now I got to wait. And it's not that. It's just that some comedians come into a room to ruin the show. Well, yeah. I'm going to blow this fucking place up. And they really blow away. When I get down Thursday, you work with the other two guys. You get the niche. You see who you're already working with. And then some guy wants to come in Saturday. Like, oh, my God, I didn't know you were in town. Can I do a guest? It's not going to happen. It's especially not gonna Saturday because you got two shows. Yeah, I got two shows, especially fucking Friday. Yeah. And it's like uh, my heart goes out to you as a comic. I know what it is to be a struggling comic. But there's nothing going on here. But who, who does let guys do guest sets? Who does? Like, I don't know. What, what There's a lot of comedians. National that, headliner just lets local guys do guest sets. I don't know. And don't you have to worry about like putting on a good show? Like if you put on a guy who's oh, terrible yeah. and they just ruin a show, these dude, people paid a lot of money for a dude, show. I let someone have a guest spot once, and um, this was uh, on a, a show with like you know, one of those ice house type shows, like ten people on, and he bombed so bad. That it tanked the rest of the night because people had to sit through 10 minutes of like really clumsy, shitty jokes, like from someone who like barely does comedy. You know, I had to find out later. And then afterwards, like the audience had a lowered expectation, whereas before it'd be like Ian Edwards, Tony Hinchcliffe, Tom Segura, smash, smash, smash. And everybody would be experiencing that all night. Well, there was this 10 minute gap where it was just sludge. Just like really shitty ideas and just not done well. And the audience went, whoa. Like you could see them get super bummed out. Yeah, especially when you're on a good show like that. Like oh, I've, yeah. I've been lucky enough to go the past few weeks to the store with Joey. When it's really good shows, it's fun. But when there's like – I went to a show once and there was a uh, magician on, the, on stage. And it just – I just I think of him because I know he hates it. But it's so weird how important it is to build a good show and to build yeah. shows the comics who go well together it's you can't just have you can't just throw comedians up there and have a good show the problem is like people are friends with people that you know and then you know they you know you know them and they know you and they hey man can i do one of those ice house shows yeah sure come on down do a set i'll see and then you just go oh no what has happened here jesus fucking christ and if you do that, like, this this guy, like, had just written jokes that day and was doing them that night. He had never done them before. Like, like tried to do, like, a whole... It's a long-ass story. But th when that does happen, the, the audience feels like you fucked them. You know? Like, people always say, like, why would I take the best comedians on the road with me? Like, dude, wouldn't you want to, like, stand out in front of the other comedians? Oh, the audience feels like you fucked them then. Like, you made up for the fact that you fucked them by being really funny for the last hour and ten minutes, but you know you fucked them for the first 20 minutes if you fill in the blank with the name of the comedians. There's a bunch of crazy fucking comedians that will open for other, like, national acts, and they don't work anywhere else. They just, they, they work as, like, opening acts for big-time national acts who don't want to be, like, shown up on stage. They don't want someone going on before them and being really funny. But isn't that the point of the opener to to warm them up? Like that's why they have uh, studio warm up people for TV shows because they want them to have good energy and warm and be up excited. to a degree. 
<laughs> There's oh, a lot of comics okay. that want you to warm them up to a degree that you really have to hold back a little bit because they're the star of the show. They're so stupid. Well, I rather we come from the school of thought. We want everybody to be fucking great. Because if the guy in front of me is fucking great, while I'm back there ticking watching this, I'm going to come out throwing 92 miles an hour. If the guy's in front of me is lackadaisical, I, it happened to me. One time with you on the road, we left the gap set up. The guy's energy was low. I, he sucked me in with it. I went up there and bombed because of him. Because I didn't want to make him. It was so bad. Like mm. I said, oh, I'm not going to do material now. I just go up there and talk. There's a bad thing that does happen when you watch really bad comedy, like someone who's like real amateur level comedy. Something weird happens where you get confused as to what's funny and what's not funny. It's like it's almost like a smoke screen, like one of them ink things that a squid shoots out. Like, like, like you see someone on stage that's really new and really bad, and just you got to get out of the room. It's like like you can your mind can get locked into their way of thinking. Because that's what I think is happening anyway on stage. I think the reason why comedy is so funny is because you're thinking like that guy. The guy's taking you for a ride. And when you let a bad comedian take you for a ride, like you get stuck in like what they're doing on stage. Say if they're doing like real obvious hack material, cop donut jokes, you know, tampon, chub, price check, you know, that kind of stuff. And the audience is really laughing. You you get confused, and your whole sit you like you have to shut them out like la la la. You got to listen to some music. You got to go on stage fresh, like they didn't exist. You're better off not seeing them. I don't want to see them no more. I come out like Gladiator. Yeah, you have to come out of that cage like Gladiator. I don't want to get caught up. Like Friday early Saturday early show, I watch the other acts, and I start getting into it. But until then, I want to come out of the box like a fucking savage. Right, but if you're working with people that you love, like if you were doing a show with Duncan and Ari, you'd probably watch a lot of their set. Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the cool thing about when we do the road together. We watch each other's shit. It's fun. It's like I get to see a show and do a show. You know, it's fun. I love going to the store, sitting in the back and laughing. Me too. That's one of my all-time favorite things. To get down there a little early. Like, you get spots at 10.45, you get down there at 10, and you watch a few guys, and it really gets you in the in the swing of things. Like, yeah. it really does get you going, you know? But I don't want to sit there all night either. Well, that's the cool thing about the store. There's always some shows going on somewhere. It's three rooms. You can move around, watch a bunch of different shit. I think that's uh, not to be taken lightly. I think with anything. I think if you were, um, you know, if you were a knife maker, if you were really into making custom knives, you'd want to be around other dudes who make those things. That's why they have those expos where people get together and they so what have you been up to, man? What's going on here? I you made know? this oh, new knife, man. Yeah, this dude. thing is stainless steel. Look at that. Yeah, There's a dude who Anthony Bourdain did this thing uh, when he's done these uh, videos about people making shit. This guy makes knives with metal from meteors. Where does he get from the meteors? Meteors. Like, the, they fucking land on Earth. You they can pick just buy them, them? Yeah, you can buy them. Fuck. And they're super expensive. So he's, he's getting his iron from space. Look at this guy. Whoa. Look at that fucking knife. Come on, dude. It's a Kramer knife. This guy makes these things by hand. See if you can find the video, because it's fucking crazy. He's got, like, this... Hearth, I guess that's what you call it, right? What do you call it when you... It's some sort of an oven where he's baking these knives. But with Bourdain, Bourdain is like a... 
he's a real uh, lover of craftsmanship. So this guy is making these things sort of in a similar way to the way Samurai's made them, where you have big plates of metal and um, you you compress them and heat them up and smash them and get all the layers into one layer. But it's all done with iron that he's getting from fucking meteorites. Now, what's the difference between the iron and the meteorites? Just it's cool. You could say it's from space. Makes you so it's not a strong iron or nothing like that. It doesn't last underwater. Um, I think, uh, as far as I know, I mean, there's ways to harden iron and steel. What well, survives it's coming steel, through the atmosphere? Actually. Yeah, we're talking about steel. They're making steel, but um, using the iron from space, uh, I don't think has any benefit. I think it's probably just really cool looking and awesome to say. It's just yep. fucking steel. I mean, it is what it is. You know, right? Isn't that correct, Jamie? Does yeah, that make sense? It's not like the uh, uh, Captain America shield that they got from the Right. Show, exactly. So this dude, I think his name is Steve Kramer. Bob Kramer, excuse me. Bob Kramer. Uh, and Bob Kramer throws um, this giant chunk of metal in this unbelievably hot oven, and then he pulls it out, and then he puts it in this machine and hammers it, and he's just talking about all the different methods of hardening steel and adding carbon and all the things that they add during the process but it's crazy wild shit man look at this so he pulls out this orange and white glowing thing and they it pounds it down so he takes it and all those layers get smashed down into a thinner and thinner layer and it just keeps doing it over and over again until it becomes like a blade. It's wild shit, man. So when it's down to being a blade, that fucking thing is so compressed and smashed down. It's just really interesting shit. So what is the name of the video if people want to watch it? Uh, Raw, Craft. Raw Craft with Anthony Bourdain. He's got a bunch of these he's done. I don't know how the fuck that guy has so much time. He does so much shit. There's like a few of those guys where I make I feel lazy. Dude does personal speaking gigs. What are you eating over there, Joey Diaz? Pralines, pumpkin oh, seeds. A little bit of nature bugs, Joey Diaz. A little bit of nature bugs. Never killed nobody. This guy's making fucking swords. I mean, that those guys want to be around each other. You know, like if you're making knives like that, you're gonna want to be around other people who make knives as well. It's like we're the, one of the things about places like the store is uh, we can all meet each other and hang out like. The other night in the bar, like, Stanhope, Ron White, me, a bunch of us just hanging. I'm like, well, where is there a place like this where we can meet, like a, a fucking saloon where uh, fellow fellow travelers can meet? I got to tell you something. Ron White is really taken to the store. He has. He's really taken to the store. Like, he's one of the guys now. He oh, gives he you is. a big hug. Mm -hmm. He's got a drink in his hand. He's happy as fuck up there. Yeah. He goes up there. He murders the fucking room in a mm -hmm. slow, methodical way. But at first, he would just stay back there and go, what the fuck is this shit? This ain't right in here. And I watched him. I've been watching him just become a guy at the store. Yeah, he's always in the back bar. He's always hanging out. It's a beautiful thing. Well, bro, he's always at a bar. Yeah. If there's a bar open, he's close by to it within walking fucking <laughs> distance, okay? That guy's the real fucking deal. Yeah. No, he, he shows up is. with his own bottle and ice cubes. Well, he has his own brand. Right. He has, he his, has own his own fucking brand. brand. Of tequila. What is it called again? Get fucked up. Something. That's what it's something called. Something Juan. Something Juan. What the fuck is it called? Drink number 
Number Juan? Number Juan? Yeah, that's it. Number Juan. How racist. Number Juan Tequila. Pa-pam! It's good shit. It is really good shit. He had it at, I mean, as far as that stuff goes, it all tastes like shit, really. You know I mean? Let's be real. Even the best tasting tequila tastes like shit. The best tasting ever. All that alcohol. I never get it. People like sit there and like, wine. I'm, I started to like wine. I could drink a glass of wine. You know, it's, it's still alcohol. Though. I still, still like Jack Daniels shots. It, it still bothers the shit out of me. It tastes like shit, and I love it. <laughs> you know, it's, you're talking about that. That I still remember. I was a little boy in New York City when Muhammad Ali Lee fought Joe Frazier. Like I, I lived on 88th Street. Mm-hmm. Like, I still remember how big that event was. Like, if you ask me about events in New York City, one is Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. Two, in the early 70s, when Elton John came to New York City, he fucked that city up. Uh, Captain Fantastic and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. When I was a kid, he fucked up traffic. Michael Jackson fucked up traffic in 84. You know, he did a couple nights at the Garden, and but... Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, when I was a kid, was fucking huge. It was huge. I remember crying. I wanted to watch it. I tried to get a blowjob from my babysitter. I was a kid. She was a Puerto Rican chick named Tita. And I kept asking her about blowjobs. She goes, I'll give you a blowjob. So I gave her a bag filled with quarters that I had. And she came into the room, and I took a shower. I combed my hair. I put cologne on. And she came into the room and blew on my stomach and said, that's a blowjob. And took my $20. I almost fucking killed the dog. I cried myself to sleep. That morning, my mom, I woke her up. I go, I got to talk to you. <laughs> my mom was like, what is it? In broken English, on my teeth, stole my $20. She said she's going to suck my dick. And she did. My mom's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? You're like six or seven. What are you talking about? I said, I, I wanted a blowjob. I gave her $20. And then she took my $20. I'm going to fucking kill her, Ma. And my mom's like, are you fucking crazy? Why would she suck your dick for $20? She can get 50 out of the bar. <laughs> Why would she suck your little helmet dick for $20 and shit? You were how old? Six, Six seven. How old was she? 32. <sighs> how, when, when did Muhammad Ali fight Joe Frazier the first time? 71, maybe, right? 71. I was probably eight. I was a little kid, man. My she mom had to borrow your money. Oh, my mom had to give me back the twenty. I made my mom give it back to me. Your mom I, gave it to yeah, you. Yeah, my mom said, "What would it take to make this problem disappear?" So she gave you twenty just to shut you up. Yeah, because she knew I would hit, hit Tita in her sleep. I would kill her in her sleep. She was sleeping on the couch. The babysitter fell asleep on the couch. I'm oh like, my Listen, god! Either you give me the twenty dollars, or I'm gonna fucking kill her right there in her sleep. Shit! <laughs> <laughs> my mom's like, "Are you fucking crazy?" I'll give you the twenty. Just leave Tita alone. I didn't talk to Tita for a year, dog. Should never talk to her again. When was it? Seventy-one. Yeah, so I was I was eight. And she's ripping off little kids. She was great though, Tita. I had great great babysitters growing up. <laughs> I didn't like my mom going out at night. My mom had the bar, so I would spend the whole day with my mom. And then at night, she'd have to go to the fucking bar, and it would drive me crazy, Joe. I want to go to the bar. Right. You can't go to the bar. You go to school. I don't give a fuck. Let me come protect you. So Bars are weird. I would fucking wait for her to get to Jersey, and then I'd cause a war in the house. And she'd have to get back in the car and come over to 88th Street, fuck me up, put me to sleep, get in bed with me, and lay down. And then she would go back to the bar and fucking close it. I wow. put it through hell, man. Hell. And then when we moved in Jersey, I would call her up. I was scared at night because I thought the house was haunted. <laughs> 
So I would call her up and say, you got to get down here. I'd be crying and shit. Finally, she goes, just take a cab to your friend's house, sleep over there. There was a year I didn't sleep at my house, you know. Really? Like a year. When I was in seventh grade, I didn't sleep at my house. Never. I would go there after school, get clothes, and go to my friend's house and sleep there and live there. I was scared of fucking ghosts and shit. <laughs> my grandparents insisted their house was haunted. They had a guy uh, during the uh, 50s who rented a room upstairs. So a local guy was a bachelor, and he just rented a room. Because, um, you know, people did that back then. They were poor. And uh, that guy died. I think he died while he was at the house. I don't remember. But they insisted that the fucking guy was still, like, walking around. They'd hear him walk around. I lived there for months when never I first moved. Never heard nothing. Never heard shit. Then I realized, you know what a lot of that is? <sighs> people just get bored. They want there to be a ghost. They want something crazy to be going on. They're bored. They don't have any excitement. And so the only excitement is like being in that room in the dark and having feelings about something that's not even real. You're, you're like, oh, I, I feel something. I feel a presence. I feel a presence. Feel, it's a presence. There's something in this room. There's something in this room. We've got to get the fuck out of this room. Meanwhile, nothing happened. It's just you're in the dark. You're in the dark in an old house. But you're bored as fuck. That's what it is. I don't know, Joe. I don't know, dog. I lived in a haunted fucking house, Jack. <laughs> when? In 19... My mother bought this house in North Bergen, New Jersey, on Givenad Terrace. Givenad Terrace was originally the Givenad... Um, what's when kids die? When parents die. Orphanage. Your kids go. It was an orphanage. The orphanage set fire in the 40s. So they took Charles Court and Givenad Terrace and built it over this orphanage. There was an article about it on Facebook about six months ago about the whole giving that terrorist fucking spooky shit. Yeah. So in that house, my mother bought The reason why my mom, my mom got in that with the alias was because we came in with heavy cash and the guy killed himself in the garage. <laughs> All right. The guy hung himself in the fucking Ooh. garage in the 60s. So his kids were selling the fucking house. Wow. We didn't know about this. I never knew about this till years later. Once we moved in, remember in the beginning I was going to Catholic school, so I only slept there on the weekends. Once I moved in full time, like in the sixth and seventh grade, was when I would hear the ghosts at night. What'd you hear? I would hear them coming up the fucking stairs and shit, and I would cry and yell. Right. So they sent me to the Santeria lady's house, and she told me to put a glass of water under my bed with a red towel on the top. And I would sleep better, but I would still hear fucking noises at night. I was fucking, and that's all that spooky shit. Now, do you remember when we did Tom Likas? Years ago, and my friend called mm -hmm. the girl, Joey, how are you, Coco? Okay. Right. Her brother died on that block. When he was 16, 15, he died on that block. They're Sicilians. And if you think Cuban people are creepy with their Santeria and shit, nobody's creepier than old school Sicilians. I mean, she broke it down. She kept telling me, I told my husband, Sicilians don't live on dead end streets <laughs> because they're bad luck. Like, they broke, like, when I see them now, they still fly out here, the, the specials. And come Dead to end my streets house. are bad luck? Oh, yeah, the Sicilians. I mean, she's an old school Sicilian that she took the fish, the eyes from fishes to help people see better, to <laughs> help people. You ever see the movie Sleepers? You ever see the movie Sleepers? Which movie Movie is that? Sleepers about that the one four with kids. heads explode? No. The no, the that's fucking, Scanners. The fucking heads explode. This is about Sleepers. the four kids who rob a hot dog man and by mistake a guy dies and they send him to a jail. Who's in it? Uh, uh, look, all-star cast. Uh, Brad Pitt. De Niro oh. was the priest. 
I do believe the I book saw is that. a lot better. The movie yeah. sucked because they put too many stars in the movie. Too many, but it's about stars. four fucking kids that get sent to an orphanage and they get beat up or whatever the fuck it is. But before that, they go to work for a mob boss. If you've ever watched any mafia movie, every mafia movie blows the characters. The only mobster that was ever any good in any Italian movie beside Marlon Brando was the guy that played the mobster in this movie. Put See if you could find sleep as King Benny. King Benny was a bad motherfucker. He was an Italian actor that they recruited to come over. He didn't even speak that good of English. Wait till you see the King Benny. Well, King Benny's explained to him that he takes the eyeballs to this lady for headaches. When I was a kid, look at King Benny. King Benny is a bad motherfucker. There's a <laughs> dog. There's a part where King Benny has to go deal with fucking brothers in Harlem, and the guy says to him, "Man, but you said this movie sucks." The movie's a five. 